Uh, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, during this season leading up until Christmas, it is a time that many of us believe it's the happiest time of the year. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love this season. I love the food, right? I love that chocolate is just allowed to be eaten any time of the day now. Yes, amen. I've got claps on that. Ramjan, they like you as much as they like chocolate. That's a good sign. I love Christmas music. I absolutely love Christmas music. And one of the best things about the way that I write sermons is that you can't write a Christmas sermon without having Christmas music on. So like in October, I'm listening to Christmas music. And I love it. I love Christmas. I love the lights. I love Christmas lights. One of my favorite things our family does is every Christmas Eve after our service, we go and we drive around. There's a couple of neighborhoods that we like to look at who have amazing lights. We love Christmas lights. I love the whole season, but in some ways, the holiday season kind of feels like, like having a baby. Where you're like, oh, this is really great, but you're also like, ah, it's kind of exhausting. It's a lot. The schedules, the calendars get full real quick. You have event after event. Uh, I had a friend a a while ago who he was having over 20 members of his family staying at his house for four days. I called to check on him afterwards and no joke, he said, yeah, I'm being checked into the hospital, which I completely understand. It's a lot. It's busy. And on top of that, you have the natural biological effects of the diminishing amount of sunlight doing wonders on your circadian rhythm, which is making you tired. It's a lot. Like, it's the happiest time of the year, but we're, we're exhausted physically. But I don't know about you, but sometimes this season does something to us mentally as well. Where you, you look around and you see what everyone else is doing for their family during the holidays, what they're giving their kids what they're doing for their significant other. If you've got a step-parent situation involved, there's like the competition with them to make sure that you're doing the same amount or not falling behind. And in some ways, the Christmas season can feel like it's a living, breathing Instagram filter where you see like the best of everyone else and you compare it to your reality. And so you have this weird mixture during the holiday season of comparison and your own expectations breeding together to create this Scrooge sort of sentiment where it's never enough. Like, I love Christmas, but there's a lot that happens during the season to us physically, to us mentally, and also to our soul. Where it's supposed to be time when family gets together, but not all family can be together. And you feel those empty chairs really pressing You feel those relationships that are just not the same as they used to be. You just feel it. And so it's the the happiest time of year, but sometimes it brings up a whole lot. And during the Christmas season, it feels like you can't be anything but happy. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anyone else feel that? The Christmas season is supposed to be the happiest time of year, but for some of us, there's just immense amount of loss or fatigue or exhaustion. Now, as the world celebrates the Christmas season, Christians have this unique season that we call Advent. And unlike the Christmas season, Advent, in a lot of ways, invites us into the fullness of the human experience. For many Christians throughout the years, Christmas didn't end on December 25th, but later. 
December 27th, where many Christians will continue to celebrate what's called the Feast of the Holy Innocent, which is anything but a a happy celebration. It's a story that goes back to one of the the darkest parts of the birth of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, it's in chapter 2, and this is what the Feast of the Holy Innocents is based on. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. This is what like, many Christians remember around this time during Advent. And while the Christmas season says it has to be the happiest time of year, for Christians, it's a time to acknowledge the fullness of the human experience. Because for as much as this season is about hope, and it is the main theme of Advent, one can't talk about hope unless they acknowledge the hurt that exists in our world, and in our homes, in our own hearts. Because you can't have the full Christmas experience unless you acknowledge the places where it feels painful, where there's loss, where there is hurt. Because the essence of the Christmas story is that life is birthed out of where it's not supposed to be. That out of what appears to be an end, there is a new beginning. Unless you acknowledge those places, you're never going to have the true Christmas experience yourself. Where life is born, where it's not supposed to be. So that's where we're going to start this morning. If if you're physically able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from Matthew chapter 1. Scripture says, Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So you have this righteous couple, Mary and Joseph. They're engaged, kind of like we do engagement now, but it's probably far more substantial. And Joseph has this dream. An angel tells him, as angels always do, do not be afraid, and explains that your wife, even though she has never been with you or any man, is with child. Joseph obviously does not understand this, but he does the righteous thing and stays with her. And then this child is born from a woman, Mary, who has no biological reason to be giving birth. This is the story of the virgin birth. A story that brings up questions. 
for many people. Uh, The journalist and Christian author, Philip Yancey, had this dialogue with a writer for the New York Times, uh, Nicholas Kristof. And Kristof asked Yancey, do you believe in the virgin birth? It seems like one of those tall tales that people tell to exaggerate the significance of an event. And Christoph's question is one that maybe you've had asked you or maybe you've thought yourself. Yancey's response is brilliant. Let me read this response from Philip Yancey. He says, I'm smiling at the question. A hundred years ago, the virgin birth was considered so important that it made the list of five fundamentals of the Christian faith. Nowadays, with in vitro fertilization, virgin births are old news. For me, the issue centers not on the mechanics of reproduction, but rather the nature of Jesus. In the incarnation, God's own self came to earth as a human. I wouldn't pretend to guess how divinity interacted with human DNA, but that's the mystery of the the virgin birth hints at. So it's no longer such a big deal question. I I can say that I doubt the virgin birth without whispering. Well, it's only a big deal if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, as most Christians do. Otherwise, you have a different mystery. How did the child of two simple villagers end up changing history more than anyone before or since? That's an interesting question, which we'll get into on Christmas Eve. How did the child of two simple villagers change human history? But Yancey's point is that this is less about the mechanics, and it's more about the nature of Jesus. It's about the sign of how God interacts with humanity. When God is born from the womb of a woman who is a virgin, as Christians have attested to for thousands of years, it speaks to the nature of Jesus. It says something about who he is. Now, this story of This unlikely pregnancy fits with many other stories from the Jewish history. There are a lot of stories that sound kind of similar to this. One of the stories is the story of one of the judges, a man named Samson. And I'm going to read this text to you from Judges 13. I want you to listen to see if you hear any similarities. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren having borne no children, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Although you are barren, having borne no children, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or to eat anything unclean, for you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come on his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth. It is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, the story doesn't include a woman who is a virgin, but it is a woman who has no children. You have a righteous couple who have a dream. There's an angel appears. The angel says, do not be afraid. All very similar to the story of the birth of Jesus. And then at the very end, it gives the job description. This child should be one who delivers. Now, Jesus' name as we say it in English, comes from the Hebrew word, Yeshua, which we transliterate that word into English as Joshua. 
Those who are familiar with Old Testament stories know the man named Joshua was the one who delivered Israel into the promised land because Joshua literally literally means to deliver. Jesus' name literally means the one who delivers. The very nature of who Jesus is is the one who delivers. But where and how Jesus delivers doesn't always look like how someone's going to be delivered. From the very beginning, that's the nature of who Jesus is. One of the other references that this story makes to the Old Testament is in verse 23. In verse 23, there is a reference to the prophet Isaiah. This is a quotation from Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is a story in which the prophet is speaking to the king of Judah, Ahaz. And Ahaz is surrounded by foreign nations, foreign armies, foreign kings, who all have him in a precarious situation. And the prophet Isaiah speaks to him and says, God is doing something contrary to what you see around you. That foreign nations and foreign kings and their armies, and even Judah itself, is under the hand of God. And so you might feel like you have been abandoned, King Ahaz, because your circumstances aren't good, because you're exhausted and you're mentally strung out and in your heart you feel like you've been abandoned. But the good news is that God is with you. And the God who will deliver you has never departed from you. And isn't that the story of Christmas? That in the most unlikely of situations where it seems there is no chance for life, where it seems everything is hopeless, that God appears as the one who delivers you because God is the one who never has departed from you. And maybe the reason that we need to talk about the hopelessness of Christmas is because unless you can acknowledge where you feel like this is the end and when life is coming to a conclusion and where you feel like you've got no options, you never get the gospel truth that God is with you. The one who will deliver you has never departed from you, nor will he ever depart from you. And that is the nature of who Jesus is, and that is the sign of Christmas. So for every person who is exhausted right now, remember that the God who is going to deliver you is always with you. And every person who feels like they can't keep up with everything going on around them, and they always feel like they're behind, and they ever, always feel like they don't stack up, May you remember the one who is going to deliver you is never going to depart from you. And for everyone in here who feels overwhelmed and heartbroken, and who feels like the hurts and the regrets and the pain and the shame and everything you are carrying with you which feels like it's weighing you down is not the end because the one who will deliver you has never nor will ever depart from you. Amen? The sign of Christmas is that no matter where you are, you haven't haven't been abandoned. But sometimes life makes you feel like you have been abandoned or that you will be abandoned. Because there are moments where we feel it. And when you feel it, you're like, you don't forget it. You, you hold on to that. Because there are a few feelings worse than the feeling of being abandoned. Let me tell you one of the stories for me. Years ago, I was a kid uh, living in Philadelphia with my family. And I was 10. It was a few weeks after Christmas, so I showed up 
to the Phoenixville YMCA outside of Philadelphia where I had my basketball practice. And it was right after Christmas, so I had the Christmas presents that I had received just a few weeks before. I had a basketball with Michael Jordan's name on it. I don't know what I was going to do to make me look like Michael Jordan, but I had the basketball. And I had this jacket. It was a starter jacket that was white and silver, and it had David Robinson, the center for the San Antonio Spurs, my favorite basketball player, his name on the front, and like a graphic design of him on the back. I looked amazing, okay? (laughs) Michael Jordan basketball, David Robinson jacket. I had a knee brace on, not because I was hurt, but because David Robinson wore a knee brace. Anyway, and so there I was at basketball practice, ready to just wreck shop. I was taking everyone down. And so I show up at practice. We have our practice. I realize no shop is being wrecked by me. Practice ends. And so I go and I find my starter David Robinson jacket and I put it on. And I go outside and I look for my parents. And I'm looking and I don't see them. So, okay, simple miscommunication. So I go back inside because there was another team that was practicing. And so I'm watching all these scrubs who don't have a knee brace and a David Robinson jacket on. I'm just going, I'm better than every one of you. Obviously, my practice before indicated otherwise, but my jacket reminded me I'm better than you. So I have this David Robinson jacket on. I'm watching this team practice, and practice ends, and now my practice should have been over for a while, and I go outside, and I look for my parents, and I don't see anyone. So I go back inside, and I don't know what to do. Like, everyone's leaving And so I take my David Robinson jacket with me as a relic of back in the good old days when my parents remembered me. And I go to like the back of the gym and I just kind of like hide out. I don't know why I did it. It's kind of like when a dog goes underneath a house to die. Like I think it's that same sort of like biological thing. And so I'm back there with my David Robinson jacket just praying that someone would deliver me. I'm praying that David Robinson would deliver me. Uh, True story. David Robinson actually showed up to my uncle's place of work. My uncle in San Antonio has spent his life loving the unlovable. And by unlovable, I mean cats. And one day, he shows up in my uncle's feline veterinarian practice, and all of a sudden, his whole life makes sense. It matters. And so I'm hoping David Robinson is going to do that for me, and he doesn't. But the custodian appears, and he looks at me and goes, son, do you need some help? And I go, I I think I do. My dad and David aren't showing up. He goes, do you need to call someone? I go, yes. And so I, I get a phone and I, and I call my dad. And he picks up and I go, dad. And he goes, hold on one second. And I hear him say, Josh, pause the video game. I got a phone call. And he comes back to the phone and says, who is this? <laughs> like how many people are calling you dad, dad? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one, but I have this like, fear that I'm going to be abandoned. And I blame it on my father. But there's no feeling worse than that. Or whether it's just an hour or two, or maybe it feels like it's weeks or months or years, that you're all by yourself, and that help isn't coming, and you're stuck. But to that feeling, the story of Christmas has something to say about who God is. Because ultimately, Christmas is a story that tells us the nature of God. And in moments when we feel most abandoned, we need to remember who God is. Uh, Hear these words from uh, N.T. Wright about what Christmas says. He says, nevertheless, the birth stories have become a test case in various controversies. If you believe in miracles, you believe in Jesus' miraculous birth. If you don't, you don't. Both sides turn the question into a shibboleth. Uh, Shibboleth, that's a reference to an Old Testament story about how people pronounce this word different based on where you come from. It's... 
It's a litmus test, right? Both sides turn the question to a litmus test, a shibboleth. Not for its own sake, but to find out who's in and who's out. The problem is that miracles, as used in these controversies, is not a biblical category. The God of the Bible is not normally absent God who sometimes intervenes. This God is always present and active, often surprisingly so. What, what Wright is saying is that sometimes we, we have this picture that maybe God's here sometimes and then he intervenes and does these miracles and all of a sudden God disappears. But, but that's not Emmanuel. That's not the nature of Jesus as revealed in the story of Christmas. Christmas has been the sign that God is Emmanuel always with you. It's not like sometimes God shows up, that occasionally God answers the phone call and appears, but God is always here. And there are moments where we feel like we are never going to be delivered. That we feel like we're always going to be run down. That we're always going to be overwhelmed. That we're always going to be full of hurt. But Christmas is a sign to say that God is never going to depart from you. That God isn't going to leave you on your own. And so whatever state you are in right now, remember that God is there with you. And this doesn't mean that you always get your way. Life doesn't always go our way. But what it means is that no matter where we are, we are not beyond the reach of God. That God is always with us. That God is always going to find us, even in times and in places where you don't want to be found. There are times that you just feel alone because you don't want to be found where you are. Let me, let me tell you another story. It's like 15 years ago, uh, Lindsay and I are living in Abilene, Texas. She's finishing up nursing school. Uh, I'm in grad school. And we live on East North 23rd Street, just a block off campus. We're married, and we come home kind of late one evening, like late for Abilene. It's like 9.30. Um, everything's shut down. And we get home at 9.30, and our house on East North 23rd in Abilene, Texas, it's a real quiet neighborhood right off campus. And... We park her white Ford Explorer in the driveway. We start to walk inside. And our otherwise quiet neighborhood is interrupted by the sound of someone yelling, Help! 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 I hear this man's voice, but I'm looking around, and I can't see anyone. And so I kind of pause, and I hear the voice again say, Help! Help! And so I start walking. I go, Hello! Hello! And they are yelling, Help! Help! And so they yell, Hello! Or I yell hello, they say hello. And it's like this weird Marco Polo game that we're playing in the middle of the night in Abilene, Texas. And as I'm I'm getting closer, I I see a car that has a door open. The interior dome light is on, but I don't see anyone. And so we're walking towards that car and that sound. And as we get a little bit closer, I hear a voice says, not her. Tell her to leave. Not her. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. Uh, And so Lindsay kind of goes back to the house and leaves me alone to be abducted by someone. (laughs) Hello, hello, help. And so I I walk and I get around to the side of the car. And what I see is a gentleman like stuck on his back. And it appears that he has fallen as he tried to get into his vehicle. And this is an older gentleman uh, who at his size mobility is not extremely natural for him. And the craziest thing is he's stuck on his back. And the reason he had said, tell the girl not to come over there is because he's only wearing his underwear. 
And so here's the mental picture. A guy stuck on his back like a turtle wearing whitey tidies. And so, like, I reach down and, like, pick him up, and we get inside. And the story is, it's the middle of the night. He, he needs something. And so he thinks he can sneak out to his car and get it without having to fully robe up. And he obviously can't. So he gets to the car, he slips, he falls down, and he's stuck there for some time in his underwear. And that story has stuck with me for 15 years. Uh, one, because I will never, ever walk out my front yard in just my underwear for that reason alone. And my neighbors are very happy about that. But two, that story of this guy, he's stuck, he needs help, but he kind of doesn't want to be found, is a metaphor for many of us. Like, you're stuck on your back, you desperately need help, but you also really don't want to be found, because you don't want to be exposed to someone who's in trouble. You don't want to be exposed to someone who's, whose feelings got hurt. You don't want to be exposed to someone who's weak. You don't want to be exposed to someone who needs someone to deliver them. But the story of Christmas is one that kind of changes how we see everything. Because if God became a person through the womb of a virgin, everything as we know it is turned upside down. I mean, if we believe this story, then everything else about life has changed. Because you can't just go on like it's normal, because nothing is normal after this. Nothing's the same. Everything is different. One of my favorite quotes is from a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of the resistance in Germany to try to get rid of Hitler. He was a part of a failed assassination attempt, which led him to be incarcerated in a camp. There's a letter that he wrote to his fiance on December 13th, 1943, which is just two years before he himself was executed. And so a few weeks before Christmas, he writes these words to his fiance. He says, we shall ponder the incomprehensibility of our lot and be assailed by the question of why. And then just when everything is bearing down on us, to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it. The Christmas message comes to tell us that all our ideas are wrong. Our eyes are at fault. That is all. God is in the manger. Wealth and poverty, light in darkness. Just when life makes you feel like you're abandoned and that everything has gone wrong and that you are stuck and no one is coming to help you, Christmas says everything is upside down. Because God is in a manger, there is wealth in poverty, and in darkness there is light. And so you can't view anything the same anymore. Because God is the one who is with you, and God is the one who will deliver you. And the way that God works doesn't always fit in the way that we want it to work. It doesn't always fit in our imagination, and it might not be exactly how we want our life to go, but that doesn't mean God has let us go. Just because life hasn't gone the way we want our life to go doesn't mean that God has let us go. If God can be in a manger and wealth can be in poverty and light can be in darkness, then your life isn't over just because it hasn't gone the way you want it to. And Christmas is a sign of the nature of who Jesus is. The nature of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means you're not on your own. And that's the joy of Christmas.
And that's the joy that we experience at Christmas. And the joy of Christmas is not the happiness you feel when you give like the right present to the person you love the most. That's happiness. The joy of Christmas is not when you receive the perfect present. That's happiness. The joy of Christmas is not the feeling you get when everything goes right for Christmas. That, again, is happiness. And to be very clear, I think God wants us to celebrate these moments of happiness. When you have these moments of happiness in front of you, these are gifts from God that you should celebrate. Don't, don't rush past them. This year, just slow down and be present to these moments of happiness. They're gifts from God. But do remember that happiness is always based upon what happens to you. Happiness is based on what happens to you. Happiness is about your life going the way you want it to. Happiness is about you having the life that you want. Joy is about understanding that God has you. Joy is an awareness that God is with you, that Emmanuel hasn't abandoned you, hasn't departed from you. Happiness means you have what you want happen to you. Joy is about understanding that God is with you. And some of us here are going to have great amounts of happiness. I think God celebrates that with you. But some of us aren't. And God is with you just the same. Uh, I told you about my friend from college who uh, eight months ago uh, was, uh, was killed in a car accident. And one of his best friends, and I say best friend like trivializes the relationship. He's far more than a, a best friend, um, neighbor. I mean, they're, they're family. And he, I was talking to him a few weeks ago, and he was talking about his conversation with my friend's widow. And he was expressing to her what, what like, many of us want for her. And many of you want for the people you love who've gone through loss. When he says to her, I I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. And this young woman, mother of three, who lost her husband, said, when did God promise me to be happy? There are a lot of things in life that promise you to be happy. If you get, like your family, just the perfect way, then you're going to be happy. Or, or if you get the stuff you want, you're just going to be happy. If, if you get the job, if you get... They all promise happiness. I feel like that's what marketing does for every product now. If you get this, you're going to be happy. God doesn't promise you happiness. What God promises you is presence. God's presence is always going to be there for you. And that might not give you the happiness that you want, but ultimately, joy is what you need. And I I want happiness far more than I want joy, if I'm being real honest. But what I need is joy. And so in this season of Advent, may the story of the virgin birth be assigned to you the nature of who God is. And the nature of who God is is that God is the one who's with you. Now, and one day fully when the heavens and earth are brought together, the restoration of all things, when our hope is realized, we will experience what joy has given us a foretaste of, that God is here right now. And one day fully God will bring everything back together and redeem all things. 
But right now, we have this inner presence that God is here. And so if you find yourself chasing after happiness, which always tells you what you don't have happen to you, maybe would you just slow down and remember that God is in a manger, that wealth is in poverty, that light is in darkness, and you start to develop eyes that see the presence of God around you. Because if you're chasing happiness, all you're going to want is to have the presence of life around you. But if you want joy, you start to develop eyes that see the presence of God that's with you. And that will sustain you, no matter what you're going through, and no matter what you feel, no matter what life offers to you. I wish God promised every one of us to be happy. But God doesn't. But God does promise us joy. God promises joy. One of the ways that we receive this is every Sunday we gather and we receive the bread that was broken and the blood that was shed. And so in a second I'm going to ask, actually we're going to have our our students go to the tables in just a second and they're going to administer the sacraments to us. And so if, if that's how you want to receive the sacraments, you can go to the tables uh, if the right thing for you is to stay at your seat and receive uh, the sacraments through the prepackaged option that you've received on the way in, or you want to walk down to the table and grab that, you can do whatever you want, whatever is the right thing for you. But two things I ask of you. One, if you're going to go to the tables, please don't form a line and make it congested. Just kind of take your time, wait till the lines die down so that we don't have big crowds right around the tables. First thing I ask you, very basic. But the second thing, which is far more substantial, what I ask is as you go to the tables or you receive the sacraments at your seat, may this be a chance for you to remember the presence of God that became bread and blood, that became flesh and now it becomes juice for us because God became one of us and was with us and that hasn't changed, that God is still with you right here and right now. Amen? All right, would the servers make their way to the tables, please? As we pray. God, we thank you for the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. We thank you for what the death, burial, and resurrection mean to us, but we also thank you for what the incarnation means to us. That you entered into humanity in the womb of a young girl, a virgin, where life isn't supposed to be created, but somehow the miraculous took place. Not because all of a sudden you appeared and then you disappeared, but because you are the God who's always with us. And as we remember that today, may it fill us with joy. Thank you, God, for being faithful to us. Thank you that we always have you. And thank you that you are the one who continues to deliver us. We pray this in the name of the resurrected Christ. Amen.